This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Megan Kelly, welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. Big news day. Later, I'll be joined by the founder of Gays Against Groomers, an organization that has taken center stage in the culture war fight in America and now finds itself under fire. We'll get into it. But we begin with fireworks on Capitol Hill. Congressman Matt Gates straight out asking FBI Director Christopher Wray whether the FBI is protecting President Biden's family when it comes to allegations of corruption. Meantime, overseas, Joe Biden bows out of attending a NATO dinner with world leaders to get some rest. Here to discuss it all, Republican presidential candidate and former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley. She also served as former President Trump's ambassador to the United Nations. Great to have you with us today. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Megan, for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. All right, let's kick it off with what's happening on Capitol Hill as Christopher Ray uh, subjects himself to questions from um, judiciary, the, the committee chaired by Jim Jordan. And in particular, he's being pressed on whether the FBI is protecting the Biden family. Here's just a sampling of how it went when Matt Gates got his shot at questioning the FBI director. I'm sitting here with my father. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, director? I'm not going to get into commenting on that. Well, you, you, you seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. The FBI well, does not the has no oh, interest on. in protecting anyone You won't answer the question about whether or not that's a shakedown, and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Because to, ev- to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. And your inability to acknowledge that is deeply revealing about you. What do you make of that? Do you agree that it's deeply revealing that he won't say it outright? Absolutely. And I'm glad to see them having these hearings. Look, the American people have lost complete trust in our intelligence departments, in our intelligence agencies and in the Department of Justice. And the only thing is I would ask Congress to go a step further. All of these questions that they're asking him, you know, he's saying, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. 
They need to ask, when are you going to get back to us? When are you going to see it? Why aren't you letting us ask these people? Why aren't you letting us do more? I mean, these are some serious questions and allegations. And the American people want answers and they deserve answers. And so, you know, I appreciate and, and applaud Congress for having this oversight hearing, but be firm with Christopher Ray. He owes us a lot of answers and he needs to give it in a timely manner. We can't have this drag out for another year or two years. These are serious issues that we need serious answers to. What is the theory on Christopher Ray, Republican, lifelong Republican, appointed by President Trump to you know run this organization? A lot of its problems happened under uh, Jim Comey, as we both know. Um, but what is the theory that he is anti-Republican, that he like, why would Chris Ray run cover for Joe Biden? Are the problems inside the FBI going to be solved by getting rid of Chris Ray, as you've said you would do if you won the presidency? I don't think it's just Chris Ray that has to that we have to get rid of. I mean, I think you have to get rid of all of senior management. You have to go back to the mission. You know, when I was governor in South Carolina, we replaced the heads of all the agencies, but we also put people into each of those agencies to clean it out, pull down regulations, pull down, you know, any bureaucracy and get rid of problem children. And so in some cases we tweaked agencies. In other cases, we gutted agencies. This is an agency that's going to need a serious overhaul just because the whole mission has been compromised. And so we've got to make sure that they go back to understanding politics should never be in our intelligence agencies. And I'll take it further on our national security. They have missed a lot of things that they should have had and been aware of, and they haven't had that. And so I also question really just the way they are going about gathering information from our threats that are abroad. I don't think that they've been as strong on that. And I think it's because they've been so distracted with everything going on politically in our own country. What do you what do you make of Christopher Ray? This is a guy recommended, I think, to the president by Chris Christie, another guy running for president on the GOP side, uh, who I believe was Chris Christie's lawyer during Bridgegate. <laughs> um, that I don't know that that qualifies one to run the FBI. But what you know, what do you who would you replace him with? In other words, how do you find somebody who actually knows how to clean up the organization to scrub the politics out of it the way, well, at least some of us were deluded into believing it once was? You know, I, I had to basically gut my law enforcement division when I became governor. And the way you do it is you put someone in that you know is going to be completely um, away from the politics, understand that this is about morale, this is about also making sure that you are at the top of your game in terms of getting all of the intelligence that you need to have and that you are prepared to clean house the way you want to. But more than that, you have to bring trust back to the agency. That's why I think Christopher Ray has to go is the trust is gone. So you have to get rid of him. And I also think that you have to look at anybody that's been a part of what has happened with the Bidens, any of these other issues that have come about, whether it's you know investigating or asking gun ownership or, or or Catholic issues that have come across. We need to go and see anybody that's been a part of any of this. You have to get rid of them because you can't have any bad eggs in this. We've got to go build this agency back up to where it's trusted again. And that's, mm. you know, it can be daunting at times, but I do think it's necessary. And so Christopher Ray may be a perfectly great guy and I've met him on occasion, but that's not what this is about. This is about trust of the American people. And we just don't have that in that agency right now. Yeah, that's for sure. It's bizarre listening to this, the cross examinations where all the Republicans are running roughshod over him and all the Democrats are defending the FBI. I mean, you go back 10 years, it would have been exactly the opposite. As you know, it's just a bizarre sort of twist in the way we see our not just the FBI. But don't you wonder why the Democrats are supporting him so much? That only makes us think 
he's covering up more. So it's just a strange dynamic when you look at the partisan play here, how he's played it, but also how the Democrats have played it. And I think that that's added to more of the distrust and the belief that politics is at play here. Well, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear Eric Swalwell say anything, I know I'm on the opposite side. I, if that's I'm exactly right. Right. If you don't know where to stand, you listen to him talk and then it's very clear where, where you need to land. All right. Let's talk You're about exactly NATO. Right. Uh, let's talk about NATO and Ukraine, because this has become an issue. Should should Ukraine join NATO? This has, of course, been the thing uh, Vladimir Putin has been pushing against now for decades. He doesn't want the expansion of NATO at all, and he certainly doesn't want Ukraine in it. And Joe Biden said it's not time. Well, I mean, I think everybody agrees right now in the midst of a war, it's not time. But Joe Biden was saying they're not ready. And I heard you on Cavuto yesterday saying there's no reason Ukraine should not be part of NATO. And this, of course, makes you a more hawkish on this issue than some of your your competitors in the GOP race, because the the pushback on it, as you know, ambassador would be World War Three, right, <laughs> that it's extremely provocative to to Vladimir Putin, even more so than we have been to actually make them a part of Ukraine, uh, made a part of NATO. We would have no obligation or no choice but to defend them in further provocations down the line if they got into further skirmishes with Putin. And it could literally lead to World War Three with a nuclear power. Actually, I think it's the opposite. This is about preventing war and the way you prevent. And this is also about ending this war quickly. We don't need this to drag out. And the problem is, and I dealt with the Russians at, at the United Nations, they love to intimidate. They love to scare. And they hope that that helps them get what they want. Let's be clear. Article 5, if you were to allow Ukraine into NATO, we would not have to do anything more than we're already doing. You don't have to put troops on the ground. You don't have to give them cash. We are already working with our allies to give them equipment and ammunition. And not only that, it sends a message to Putin. NATO is a 70-year success story in the fact that Russia has never invaded a country that is a member of NATO. The only countries that Russia has invaded, Georgia, Moldova, Ukraine, they are not members of NATO. He's not going to do that because he doesn't want the wrath of NATO. Actually saying, yes, we're going to continue to defend Ukraine, and yes, we're going to allow them in NATO, would get him to see that he better figure out a way out now and would get him to realize he's got to find an exit strategy. That's what we want for Putin. Because keep in mind, this war is not about Ukraine. This is about the fact that Russia invaded a free country. And so, one, it's a win that we got Finland and Sweden in there. But look at Ukraine. Ukraine has shown that they are a force when it comes to military, when it comes to will, when it comes to might, and when it comes to strategy. And so you look back at, at where we are, Russia had gained 27% of Ukraine's territory. Now Ukraine has got it back down to 12%. We know Putin's hit rock bottom when he's getting drones from Iran and missiles from North Korea. They've raised the draft age in Russia to 65. And then this monster of a military that he created with the Wagner group, you know, now suddenly turned on the guy that thought he was invincible. And now he realizes he's actually vulnerable. The strength of NATO and those countries to say, you know what, we do want Ukraine to be a part of this would have sent a massive red flag to Putin that 
oh no, now they're going in there too. There's nothing he fears more than the alliance that is NATO. And we have to, you know, I think that it was a missed opportunity altogether because we actually could have worked on ending this war quicker had they gone and been strong on, yes, we're going to want Ukraine into NATO. They've shown that they deserve to be there and that they have the will to defend um, freedom in this country, in their country. Prior to that announcement by the Biden administration, it sounds like you think they've been handling this war well. That uh, Ukraine has been handling well. That or Joe Biden's Biden has been, been that Joe Biden's been doing the the making the right moves when it comes to Ukraine. From your own description no, that you just that I off. don't think he's done it well. I actually don't think we would have gone to war had Biden done what he was supposed to. Keep in mind, Russia you, uh, surrounded Ukraine a whole year before they invaded. That was the time he could have prevented war. That's what he could have done. Trump had arranged for equipment and ammunition to go to Ukraine in March. And then again in May of that year before he invaded, Biden pulled that because he didn't want to provoke Putin. There again, you missed the opportunity. What they should have done was shown that we were going to have the backs of Ukraine so that it would prevent Putin from doing that. The, the, but the biggest mistake that Biden made was none of this, whether it's Iran building a bomb, North Korea testing ballistic missiles, whether it's you know Russia invading Ukraine whether it's China on the march, none of that would have happened had we not had that debacle in Afghanistan. My -hmm. husband's a combat veteran. He deployed to Afghanistan. The idea that he and his military brothers and sisters had to watch America leave Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night without telling our allies who stood shoulder to shoulder with us for decades because we asked them to be there. Think about what that told our friends. But more importantly, think about what that told our enemies. It was after that that Russia no, went on aggression with uh, Ukraine. Agreed. It was after that that China started really getting aggressive with Taiwan. It was There's after no that question. Iran no started but, building but, bombs. But I'm trying to get to what would you do differently if you became president instead of Joe Biden? What would you dif- do differently with respect to Ukraine? Because all those rollbacks of the Russian uh, you know, advancement, advancement in Ukraine happened under Biden's watch. And so what kind of differences would we see toward Ukraine if you were to become president? First, I wouldn't send any cash straight out to Ukraine. I don't think you should do that to any country. Um, We should know exactly how the money's being spent and do it at accountability. That's the first thing. The second thing is I would commit that we don't need to put troops on the ground. And the third thing is I would work more closely with our allies to make sure we finish this. And that is making sure they all step up. They give equipment, they give ammunition, that we have strategy, and that we focus on more than just NATO. Keep in mind, Saudi Arabia just sent Ukraine money to defend themselves. We need to bring in more allies than just NATO. And the biggest thing is we need to make sure that through all of that, we never forget that China is watching every single ounce of this. And they said before the Olympics, When they held hands with Putin, that they were unlimited partners, they showed up after the Russian plane hit the U.S. drone by showing back up in Russia. We need to remember a win for Russia is a win for China. China has watched every company that left Russia. They've watched every country that's helped Ukraine. They've watched what equipment and ammunition we've sent. It is strength, Megan, that goes in there. And so I would make sure everybody is pulling their weight everybody's paying their defense dues and everybody understands this is a war that we have to finish. This is not the time to take the foot off the gas. This is the time to keep the foot on the gas. 
Republicans don't feel that way. In March of 2022, 51% of Republicans deemed Russia's invasion a major threat to U.S. interests. Today, it's only 28% of Republicans, according to a recent Pew poll, who see this as a major threat to our interests. So the, the Republican Party is turning on this war. Um, this, as the Biden administration sends cluster munitions to Ukraine, which have been banned by over 100 countries, including very close American allies like the UK, like uh, Canada. They don't like these cluster munitions that basically open up a bunch of grenades on a on a country that could then explode later when children's are playing in the field, children are playing in the field and so on. Do you support cluster munitions, despite the fact that Republicans are waning in their support for this war? Well, first, I want to answer the the first premise you said about Republicans. You know, keep in mind that dictators always tell you exactly what they're going to do. You know, China said they were going to invade Hong Kong and or China said they were going to take Hong Kong. They did. Russia said they were going to invade Ukraine. We watched them. China said that Taiwan is next. We better believe them. Russia said that after they take Ukraine, that Poland and the Baltics are next. And that is World War Three. That is what we are trying to prevent. And so this is not about what politics is saying. This is about the fact that that same mentality of us saying we shouldn't defend Ukraine is the exact same mentality that you, the Europeans had when they talked about letting Nord Stream 2 go through, when they allowed, when Germany got really close and, and allowed themselves to get close to Russia. You can never let an enemy advance at all because if you're naive and you think, oh, but we're going to provoke them, that's the wrong mentality because they will go and pull the rug out from under you. And we can't be so naive that this isn't going to happen later. The biggest issue with Russia winning is China's aggression. And China has been preparing for war with America forever. We see that in their infiltration. We see that with the threats that they're doing to us from the outside. And we've got to make sure that a win for Ukraine sends the biggest message to China as they go in and invade Taiwan. When it comes to the cluster munitions that you were talking about, America has never banned cluster munitions. The reason that people tend to be concerned about them is because cluster munitions can have like duds to them. And those can, mm. you know, if messed with, can go and um, explode later. But Russia is using cluster munitions on Ukraine and has been this entire time. If Ukraine says that they want cluster munitions, they have shown that they do whatever they have to to protect the Ukrainian people. And if they feel like that's going to help them advance, then, you know, I have no problem with them getting cluster munitions. On the subject of naivete, uh, President Trump said he would settle the Ukraine-Russia conflict in 24 hours. Is he being naive? Oh, I just don't think it's being realistic. I mean, the only way you settle it in 24 hours is if you give Putin something that he wants. And it's not realistic even to do that. Let's be clear. This war, if we wanted to end it today, all you have to do is Russia has to get out. Russia has to get out. Ukraine didn't do anything. Russia went into this freedom-loving country. So... Um, no, I don't think it's realistic to say that you can settle this in 24 hours. But I will tell you what would have settled this really quickly is if the if the U.S. and Biden and NATO would have been stronger on the fact that, yes, they are going to let Ukraine into um, into NATO, because one that would have encouraged Zelensky to start being able to say to his people, look, we're going to be able to defend ourselves going forward. And he would start looking at an exit strategy and Putin would have started looking at an exit strategy. Mm, we are it. trying to end this. We're not quickly, doing that right now. And we're trying to prevent further war. That's the focus. Let's talk about China for one second. Our Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was over there meeting with senior Chinese officials and she bowed repeatedly. She bowed repeatedly. Uh, independent protocol experts, I mean, the Democratic university professors who study this for a living, 
said, we don't do that. What, what, what is she do? What is she doing, Ambassador? And what did you make of the bowing? It was it was just it, again, we look weak. I mean, you look Blinken went hat in hand to, to China. They said it was a great meeting, which means China got something out of it. You've got, you know, Janet Yellen goes and says, oh, we should get closer to China. So they roll out the red carpet and then they go and say, oh, but we scolded China because she said, this shouldn't be a winner take all scenario. This should be a situation where we um, can play by fair rules. This should be a situation where we see each other as competitors. That right there shows that you don't understand China. China lives by winner take all scenario. They've never played by fair rules. They don't see us as a competitor. They see us as an enemy. And if you want to know how, look at how they have already infiltrated our country and how the lack of any sort of response to this has been. They have bought up 400,000 acres of U.S. soil, most recently near Grand Forks Air Force Base, where our most sensitive drone technology is. They have continued to send fentanyl to the cartels. They know exactly what they're doing as Americans get killed. They are infiltrating our universities by sending millions of dollars as they go through that. They have Chinese front companies lobbying our Congress on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party. There are items, sensitive technology items that we should not be sending China because it helps them build up their military. But instead, mm. Commerce Department has that list. But Biden approved 70 percent of those requests to go to China last year. Then so, you go so and you look at their the question, military. Here's the question. Do, should she have bowed? And do you think it's indicative of the Biden administration's approach towards China writ large? No. And I don't think Biden has handled China well at all. Well, no, she shouldn't have bowed. No, you go at a position of strength. She should have asked about all the infiltration they're doing in our country and asking them what they're going to do about it, made them answer for that. But none of the Biden administration has made them accountable for anything from COVID to fentanyl to stealing our intellectual property to a spy center going off the coast of Florida where they will soon send military troops. We can't have this happen. And they have not handled this well at all. Mm, yes, the spy balloon was just the, one of the most uh, prominent visible uh, examples of all of that. All right, let's talk it was embarrassing. and some GOP politics. Um, this jumped out at me. You were being asked about Ron DeSantis's approach to the um, indoctrination of children in schools with sexual talk and gender talk and so on. And he's basically said with the you know misnamed don't say gay bill, we're not having that. We're not going to talk about sexuality. We're not going to talk about gender ideology uh, at, at the young grades. Uh, it was originally till third grade. And then the, uh, the lawmakers down there expanded it through 12th. You said before that you would go further than DeSantis. What would you have done? So I was saying prior to when it was only at third grade that I didn't think it went far enough. You know, we should not be talking to our children. You should not have school bureaucrats talking to our children about gender, period. You know, when I was in school, um, you didn't have sex ed until seventh grade. And even when you had it, you had to have a parent's permission for them to even be able to talk to you about that. And my parents wouldn't sign it. So I was the uncool kid in the classroom next door. <laughs> this is not the job of schools to educate our kids on gender. That is what the parents should do. So what I was saying is he didn't go far enough when they did it in third grade. They shouldn't be talking about gender at all in schools. Let the parents handle that. Education should be about math, science, history, civics, those types of things. I mean, you can look at how our terrible um, education scores and realize the last thing we need to be talking about gender 
when you've got 67% of eighth graders prior to COVID that were not proficient in reading or math, you had 80 plus percent two weeks ago that said they're not proficient in history or civics. And now last week, they say our 13 year olds are at the lowest levels of reading and math that we've seen in decades. And you want to talk to them about gender? I mean, that's just not what American parents want. We have one job. It's that's not. not the job we want schools but to do. But what can we do? What could be done about that from the White House? First of all, I think that, you know, as as president, what I will do is governors should have more control. And the best way to deal with it is presidents typically meet with their governors once a year. I will meet with our governors once a quarter, Republican and Democrat, with the sole goal of sending um, as much as we can down to the states when it comes to education, when it comes to health care, when it comes to benefits. I know as a governor that what I needed in South Carolina was different than what someone needed in Florida or New Hampshire or anything else. When we go and we allow the people to have better control, let the states decide these things. That way you reduce the size of the Department of Education, you reduce the size of the federal government as a whole, and you empower the people. And, you know, that's what we should be doing. What everybody doesn't realize, we still have 90% of our kids undergoing critical race theory, which if a little girl goes into kindergarten, if she's white, you're telling her she's bad. If she's brown or black, you're telling her she's never going to be good enough. She's always going to be a victim. These governors need to know you don't have to take that money. What the Department of Education says is if you teach this, we'll give you this much money. If you teach critical race theory, we'll give you this much money. We will empower the governors to know don't take the money. You don't have to do that. And let's block grant. Let's send them the funds down because I think we need to put vocational classes back in our high schools so that we start building things again. Mm -hmm. The vocational classes in South Carolina where we make a lot of things is going to be very different than the vocational classes in another state. And so I'm all about empowering the people and empowering the states and reducing the size of the federal government and getting that power out of D.C. DeSantis has taken some political fire for the fight with Disney. Disney rose up in response to this law and said, we're going to fight it. We're going to try to get it reversed. We're going to march. We're going to do all these things. And then he got into this battle where he's trying to change the tax laws. And it's ongoing between DeSantis and Disney. A lot of Republicans love this because it just shows that he's willing to fight. They're sick of these woke corporations running roughshod over Republicans in particular and certainly Republican lawmakers. Um, you said in the past you would have just picked up the phone and called Disney that that you're not particularly in favor of the way DeSantis has been handling it. But realistically, Disney wasn't going to back down in response in response to a phone call. They're under so much pressure um, from so many different constituencies to to fight these fights. And that woke ideology has risen up from within and from outside and their ESG scores and all of that. So, I mean, how honestly could a phone call have avoided this battle? So it's not just that a phone call would have avoided the battle. I mean, what I am saying is, Look, I agree with DeSantis on the fact that gender should not be talked about in schools. I've said that. I said when it wasn't when it was only in third grade, I didn't think it went far enough and he needed to go further on that. I also know that Disney's been woke for a long time. They didn't wake up and suddenly become woke. I remember them hitting Trump on immigration and they've hit on a lot of things. And we've got tons of woke companies. What I was saying is as a governor, when I always partnered with my businesses, there were times my businesses wanted to they disagreed with me on things. I would go pick up the phone and I'd call them and say, look, this is where I am. I'm not moving. You can say what you want to say, but this is why, you know, I think what I think. But I never believed in one pressuring what they say because 
they can do whatever they want to do. But I more importantly, don't think you spend taxpayer dollars in a fight against a woke company. I think, you know, I whole I'm an accountant. I think taxpayer dollars should be spent um, making sure that we, you know, do what government's supposed to do, which is just protect the rights and freedoms of the people, not be all things to all people. And I just think if he wants to get into a lawsuit back and forth using taxpayer dollars, he has the right to do that. It's just not what I would have done. Hmm. Um, 2024, you are polling behind, as you know, the who I, I've respectfully refer to Trump as the gorilla because he's the 800 pound gorilla in the race who, you know, nobody seems to get past. You used to work for him. And I know that you said, look, you know, it's early and that these polls don't tend to settle until after Labor Day. But I, we went back and just looked for one year. Uh, what happened after Labor Day in 2015 when he was the leader? He was never not the leader in the real clear politics national average from prior from early that summer to the, to the day he won the presidency. So what exactly do you expect to change this time around? Because I'll tell you right now, nationally, he's beating you by 49 points in Iowa, by 44 points in New Hampshire, by 40 points, even in your home state of South Carolina, by 29 points. I'm very comfortable with where we are. We had a few benchmarks that we had to overcome. We wanted to have a good announcement. We had thousands of people show up in Charleston, South Carolina, which sent us on our way. We have um, we wanted to be well received in Iowa, New Hampshire. I was just in the north country of New Hampshire. We've done 39 events in New Hampshire, 25 in Iowa. I'm getting ready to go back to Iowa again. And we wanted to show financial strength. And our campaign and our supporting organizations have raised over $34 million. We've had 160,000 donations from all 50 states. We will be on that debate stage, which I guess will be, which my guess will be with five or six other people. And so we're very comfortable. The reason you're not seeing my polls move is we're not spending any money. You know, the other candidates are spending millions of dollars. This is not the time to do that. People are not paying attention. What we're doing is making sure the ground game is there. And what I'll tell you going into Iowa, in 2015, you can go back and look. Ted Cruz going into Iowa in July of 2015 had 4%. In November of 2015, he had 10%. In January, he won it outright, the Iowa caucuses at 28%. You look at Scott Walker. Scott Walker was Teflon Scott. The media loved him and said he was going to be the next president. He had above 20% in July of 2015. 2015. He never made it to Iowa. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I'll tell you this, Megan, when I first got into politics, I ran against the longest serving legislator in a primary. He had been there 30 years and people laughed at me and I got to work and I earned their support and I won. When I ran for governor, I ran against a lieutenant governor, an attorney general, a very popular congressman and a state senator. I was Nikki who I had 3% in the polls. I had the least amount of money and I worked South Carolina like no one else and I won. When I went to the United Nations, they said I didn't have enough experience and I got to work and I took the kick me sign off of our backs at the UN. I have been underestimated in everything I've ever done and it's a blessing because it makes mm. me scrappy. No one's going to outwork me in this. No one's going to outsmart me in this. So people can look at those polls all they want. I will tell you, debates start in August. I can't wait. I will tell you that things are going to move past Labor Day. And it doesn't matter to me what anybody says. I know that we've got a country to save, and I'm going to do everything I can to go and show everybody that we deserve better, and I'm going to make sure that happens.
I hear it. I hear. I like scrappy, but I mean, forty points is forty points, and it, I mean, it's yes, never forty points in July of in July of twenty twenty. But, but he's held it. It's never happened that a candidate has had forty point advantages over his opponents for months and months and months on end, and then completely crumbled. I mean, if you have a different example, let let me hear it. So what's no, your plan? What you, there, there needs to be a plan to 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 get rid of him. You, what's your plan to get past Trump and his enormous advantage? Well, I have my strategy in place and you will see that play out through the through the fall. But I'll also remind you, Republicans have lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president. That's nothing to be proud of. We should want to win the majority of Americans. And I will tell you right now, we cannot afford a President Kamala Harris. So what I will tell all your viewers right now, don't complain about what you get in a general election if you don't play in this primary. We have to have a new generational leader. We've got to leave the drama, the chaos, and everything behind. We've got too many threats coming at America from the outside and too many threats in America from the inside. We've got a country to save. And so I will say it doesn't matter to me that he has 40 points. What America needs to say is, do you think he's going to beat Joe Biden? Because Joe Biden's begging for Donald Trump to be his opponent. There's a reason for that. And I'm not going to allow President Kamala Harris to happen to this country. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to fight. And I have faith in the American people. And I know when the time comes, they are going to do what will make America stronger and better and proud. And so I will continue to have faith in the American people and know that this is all going to play out. And I look forward to, to talking to everybody when these polls start to move and reminding them what they said in July of 2023. <laughs> Good. Well, you're welcome back here anytime uh, between now and then and then after then as well. I'll ask you one final question. Uh, question. The debate, first debate, August 23rd, Fox News is hosting. You said you'll go. DeSantis is going to make this stage. So are some of the other players. But President Trump so far has said he's not doing it. And some people think that makes sense because he's so far ahead. Are you going to miss him? What, are you going to miss him a little if he's not there? How's that going to feel? No, I want him on that debate stage. I think he should be on that debate stage. He's got to prove to the American people that he's the right president for this time. I think he was the right president at the right time when he won last time. He's got to get up there on the debate stage now and say, are you still the right president at the right time? He should go up against all of us and show why he thinks he's better and why he thinks he's going to do things differently. And he should answer the questions of what he, you know, what he's done. He There was a spending binge while he was president. He needs to answer for that. He, yes, brought everybody together on China as a threat, but he only focused on trade. He didn't do anything about the fentanyl and the infiltration that they've done into our country. You look at all of the other things that's taken place. You know, he owes questions. He needs to answer questions to that. And I think the American people are going to want it. I hope he's up there. I look forward to it. And I think that it's good for the American people to see it. And at the end of the day, you know, he's not going to want to sit out. I would expect him. He's a friend of mine. I would expect him to want to be up there and fight just like the rest of us. She was a very popular governor of South Carolina, U.N. ambassador as well. Did you know that ambassador is the only title you're supposed to continue using for somebody post post office ambassador? I like I don't know which one you like better, governor. But I looked this up it's, at one point and ambassador is the one you're supposed to go with. What do you think of it? It's Nikki. Those are moments in time. I'm not into those <laughs> titles. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you so much for being here and we'll continue following it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
All the best. Up next, our friend Joe Pags rejoins the program with reaction to what we're seeing on Capitol Hill. We've got some new updates for you in this Christopher Ray hearing. And to Nikki Haley, stand by. To react to what we just heard from Nikki Haley and so much more, so happy to welcome back our friend, radio host Joe Pags. Uh, and you can all find Joe Pags content at JoePags.com. Joe Pags, great to have you. So she's formidable. You know, I know why her numbers aren't higher. It's because of the gorilla and DeSantis yeah. is very much in the news and people have a bit of a love affair with him, um, at least at the Florida level. But she's I mean, she is formidable, smart, nimble, well-informed. You know, you get a close up look at her and you think, gosh, I like what I see. But there's just no way around the gorilla. Yeah, I think she'd be great in 28. You know, I talked to Don Jr. not too long ago, and he said, uh, you know, people keep asking me if I'm going to get into politics. And he said, are you going to get in front of that freight train? And that's that's the truth. I mean, <laughs> Donald Trump is the freight train. He's the gorilla, as you said. Um, I, I like Nikki Haley. Seems very nice. I like Vivek. I like uh, Chris Christie. I like uh, a lot of the people that are running Mike Pence. All of them should drop out. I mean, honest to God, there's I see no reason why these people aren't waiting until 28, unless they're vying to be vice president. I don't understand why they're doing it. And, and here's why I say that. I would have to assume, and I hope this is a good assumption, that each and every candidate for Republican uh, for the Republican nomination voted for Donald Trump in 2020. I would have to assume they thought he should get four more years. And Except she just Chris said Christie. one thing that really jumped out at me. She said, I don't think this is his time. His time was in 16. This isn't his time. Well, 2020 was his time, and I can make a good case that he probably should have won anyway. But uh, for these people to jump in now and say, I'm going to deny him the second the, the second term that he should have gotten already after seeing all the good things he did conservatively um, in his first term, it doesn't make sense to me. None of it really makes a lot of sense to me. Well, let me ask you, let, let, let me ask you about that. Because the theory is, their, theor their belief is he did not win in 2020. And while the system was stacked against him, there was no provable voter fraud. And yeah. the system remains stacked against him. That's not going to change. So how many times should we let him run and lose for the Republicans to give up the White House to somebody like Kamala Harris, who is more than likely to become the president at some point, given Joe Biden's frailty and age and so on. Right. Um, that's why they don't think it's his time. He had another shot. It didn't go well. He lost. And now the, he needs to get out of the way so another Republican can actually win this race. That's their argument. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not talking about Dominion machines or any other voting machines or, or any technology. But Donald Trump did win in 2020. And I'll make the case. You're a lawyer. Tell me if you think I'm nuts. There are many states in this country that allowed mail-in balloting that was against their own state laws. The legislatures True. in those states make the laws to go and vote. And in those states, if you accepted even one mail-in ballot where it wasn't law, it should have been thrown out. If you accepted any ballot that was dropped in a Mark Zuckerberg drop box, that should not have been counted. And they were. So I can make the case that he really did win, and he was he was screwed out of that out of that election. And it has, again, nothing to do with Dominion or any technology. It has to do screwed with out of the election is laws. one thing, but actually did win is a different. That's that's a bridge too far for me. We no, haven't. No, seen no, no. I, I understand because, that. Well, without a yeah. doubt, Joe Biden is is the president of the United States. He was inaugurated. I'm not arguing that he that he isn't. But had we followed the law and had covid not happened, I think we'd be talking about a very different a different yes. story. Um, mm -hmm. When when um, when Nikki Haley just said, and I, I love the inter by the way, I am taking notes when you interview people because one day I hope to be an interviewer like you. Um, oh, it, 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 unbelievable how you how you weave these questions. It's amazing. But when she said that Biden wants to run against Trump, I almost fell off my chair. If he wants to run against Trump, why is Jack Smith making up 37 charges? And maybe we'll drop He's another their 45 insurance policy. charges soon. Say, Don't say you again? think he's their insurance policy? I think the Democrats do want to run against Trump because they believe that they that he's beatable. But Jack Smith, 
these indictments, I think, are their insurance policy, right? Like the Democrats are not dumb when it comes to politics. You got to give them that. Agreed. I mean, I'll play you the Swalwell clip in a minute. They are dumb in other ways, Joe, but they're not dumb when it comes to politics. So they're belts and suspendering this thing where it's like, let's run against him. We'll saddle him with 10,000 indictments and either that'll make him so unpalatable to the independents that will win or he'll be in prison. I see the point, but I'm going to disagree respectfully uh, because sure. Donald Trump being attacked constantly by Alvin Bragg and Jack Smith and 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 uh, Merrick Garland and down the line, George is probably going to do something soon. Uh, these that all is evidence that shows me very clearly they're afraid of the guy. They've got to tie him up in court. They've got to tie up his resources. They've got to try to stop him from being in the primary race at all. Um, if they were, if they really wanted to run against him, they'd drop all the charges today and, and run against him and beat him handily. I, I disagree. I think they're afraid of him because they know in 2020 what I just said is true. You don't have COVID this time. You don't have mail-in balloting where it's not allowed this time. You're going to have a real race. And maybe maybe Trump loses again. I'm not here to say that he would win, but I think he's head and shoulders above the 17 others that have decided to jump in since. Have we solved the mail-in balloting problem? I think the mail-in ba- no. balloting problem is still a still out there. It's still going to haunt the Republicans unless, and that's why you're seeing more and more Republicans, including Ronna McDaniels at the RNC saying, we got to change. Or even we have realized now we've got to, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, we got to yeah. get off of this message that Republicans don't do that and, and into the current game. Okay. Let's talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill. So interesting with this Chris Ray up there taking, you know, fire from all right. Republicans. Would you listen to this moron? Eric Swalwell. There are certain people I never mentioned on the show. There really are. I try to avoid them like the plague. I got my favorite Republicans and I got my favorite Democrats, favorite in air quotes. And he yeah. is at the top of the list on the. He just seems like a complete moron to me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And you know what? I was proven right again today. <laughs> I am going to break my rule and show you a sound by involving this guy. Would you listen to how he describes the Hunter Biden laptop story? Chairman, I've counted in this hearing, and we're only about an hour and a half in, the use of the word laptop about 20 times. But the 2020 election was determined because the FBI, no, because the FBI didn't let more Americans see a private citizen's non-consensual nudes. Is that what we're saying here? That you lost the election not because of your ideas, but because a private citizen's laptop do you want an answer was it out there we like that's, that's bananas like you should be a party of ideas not a party of non-consensual nudes to help you win an election oh my god <laughs> joe help me non-consensual <laughs> nudes that's what the laptop was about you know, he knows as well as you know, as well as I know, as well as Jim Jordan knows, that the laptop, studies have shown 16% of the people that voted for Biden might not have had the laptop been uh, been exposed or even known about. Um, yeah, it had nothing to do with the nudes. Uh, it had nothing to do with the questionable, uh, the questionable sexual activity with girls and women. We don't even know how old they were. Had nothing to do with all of his drug use. It had everything to do with the big guy. Had everything to do with his admission that he, listen, Megan, you and I, before not not very long ago, before 2016, probably never thought about the FARA laws. FARA, the, the yeah, federal, right. uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Foreign um, Registration uh, Act, Foreign Agent Registration Act. Exactly. Basically, you're working for another country trying to lobby the United States to change policy. Hunter Biden is the biggest violator in history 
of the FARA Act, of the FARA law, and, and we're ignoring it. So Eric Swalwell trying to somehow divert attention to nudes, uh, divert attention to a private citizen's laptop that is just chock-filled with allegations and proof that Joe Biden, the current president, is corrupt, it, it, I would say it's laughable. But as you said, this guy is such a moron, you can't even laugh at him. He thought going in today that this act that he just pulled was going to somehow be successful thinking that people like you and me and those watching your show and listening to mine um, won't understand what he's doing. It's an attempt to divert attention and pretend that this is private um, sexting uh, of each other on, on a laptop. It's not. It's proof that the Biden corrupt family can be a RICO case tomorrow. Rudy Giuliani could, could prosecute them in about two weeks on the same RICO laws that took down the mob families in New York. The guy is a fool. When you called him a moron, I was like, man, I've heard you curse on this show, Megan. I, I was hoping for a curse word there because there's a whole, he's not just a moron. He's a something moron. You know what I mean? He doesn't get me that worked up because he is so dumb and so yeah. not worth spending time on. But this one is just like I love every single word of that is a lie. You know, he's yes. Hunter Biden was interesting, not because he's a private citizen, but because he's the president's son, the right. vice president's son, who was then the you know former vice president running to be president. That's why the whole thing was interesting and newsworthy. And yeah. they were not non-consensual, by the way. There were nudes on there. They were not non-consensual. It was Hunter Biden taking the nudes of himself. How is yes. that non-consensual for the love of God? <laughs> and then, well, well, and, and, on a separate as, matter, as that's watch, not what got people upset. Yes, exactly right. It, but, but you've got to wonder, what is the mechanism of somebody's brain that does what he just did? Did he go in, did he get, get up this morning and think to himself, here's what I'll do. I, I couldn't see the video, so he probably is unshaven. He thinks it looks cool with the unshaven look lately. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not shave, look really cool, walk in because I'm Eric Swalwell, and I'll say something so extremely stupid, but millions of Americans will fall all over me and say, wow, he's right. It's a non-consensual nude. Leave Hunter alone. When all of us realize that the FBI had that laptop since December of 19, that the FBI had this FD-1020 or this 1023 since July of like 17, and, and we're not going to buy the BS anymore. The diversionary tactics aren't going to work. But what really gets me, and I think it gets you as well, I, I feel your angst, is that this guy is, has such a high opinion of himself, he thought oh. we would fall for it. He's so dumb. He, he's always saying <laughs> dumb things. It's, it's You know, there's some comfort in knowing certain things are reliable in life. I will tell you, I was one of the nerds who was actually listening to this live on C-SPAN before our right. show today. So I heard it myself. I texted my team immediately. But this is being pushed by... The, these pro Swalwell Twitter accounts. The only thing more pathetic than being Eric Swalwell is being somebody who manages a pro Swalwell Twitter account. They no, uh, or, or, or the person who produces the view that says you've got to really boost Eric Swalwell. He's right. Joe Biden is <laughs> just a good father. And and Hunter Biden took some some nudes that nobody should see. Oh, God. OK, um, I've got it run this other uh, soundbite by you, which is Mika Please. Brzezinski, who's very concerned about Biden's overseas tour right now. Um, and what she really doesn't want is for President Biden to embarrass himself, which is what he does at every turn. He's yes. already blown off the first state dinner with all the uh, the dignitaries from other countries and he's too tired. And this is where her anger lies. Listen. I think his staff needs to own his age. I'm just going to be honest. I don't think they do a good job uh, helping out the president. And I'm not talking about it like I'm just saying if you are managing a president's schedule and you are managing a president getting on stage and getting off stage and doing getting on planes and getting off planes, And yes, he's 80. You need to be there for him and you need to make a pathway. And you sure as hell better make sure he doesn't fall on a sandbag. 
And I blame the staff for that. I mean, these are the things that are going to hurt him. These are things that are going to be played on a loop. That it's no. the staff's fault, Joe Pags. Listen, asking a president to speak and get on stages and stuff and fly around in planes, Megan, that's that's just way beyond the pale. <laughs> and my God, can't somebody say, hey, Mr. President, there might be a sandbag holding your teleprompter that you're reading and looking at. Don't trip over that as you feign or as you pretend like you're going to jog off stage. This is so dumb. Remember when Donald Trump slowly walked down that ramp and I made fun of him. I thought it was funny. Um, he says now he had leather shoes or something. He was going to slip. Remember when he he high fived like 600 different cadets and he couldn't lift his arm. He helped his arm, you know, drink a glass of water. They were 25th amendmenting this guy. Joe Biden should not be told to stand on a stage. Did you did you see yesterday? Yeah, I'm sure you did because you're just as much of a geek as I am when it comes to this stuff. The Lithuanian president dragging him around, telling him what to do. The king mm-hmm. of England telling Joe Biden which way to look and where to point. Please stop talking to to the to the guard of Windsor Castle. <laughs> What's what staffer is going to go around and say? Do me a favor. Don't talk to the guys with the big fuzzy hats on. Who, who's yeah. going to tell him and, that? And there might be a and don't fall upstairs. Don't fall upstairs, sir. <laughs> like, how are they going to protect him from his walk up the stairs onto Air Force One? I mean, or like his wandering around the White House where they've said, gee, you just walk from A to B. Here I am, sir. Come right here. Or don't spend your time instead of glad handing with the constituents talking to the Easter Bunny, sir. I mean, I, in the staff's it's, defense, how well, much well, do they have to foresee? Well, and, and again, and if they do that, from what we understand now, because they're not leaking all this out, he's very mad. He'll yell the F word at you. What, what, what blows my mind, and I, I don't know if you see my, my Instagram feed, but it's up to 200,000 now. And I grow, I've grown 180,000 in about four or five months just by doing these videos showing Joe Biden doing something stupid. And at the end, I yell, come on. In these videos, and it's, an everyday, it's an everyday thing. When he's done speaking, he doesn't know to go left or right. When he's done at the podium at the dais, when he's up there taking a picture, when he's walking around Windsor Castle, he doesn't know to take a left or a right. And my entire point is this. Can't somebody say, take a left or a right? Come on. (laughs) Just make it standard. It's just just always be left. In his administration, it's always a left turn. That should be easy for him to remember. (laughs) Joe Pag stays with us. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Joe Pags, it's not looking good for Disney. Uh, Not looking good at all. The latest report is that their theme parks uh, are not doing so well. And this is, at first I thought, well, what can we tell by the wait times at the rides? They're down from 31 minutes in 2022 to 27 minutes now. Okay, so that's four minutes. Do we care? Uh, Granted, it's down from 47 minutes in 2019. But the group that actually whose job it is to watch this they collect waiting time data from info provided by the disney parks mobile apps um and they measure it this is the sole purpose for this organization they come out and said that this is actually unfathomable this fall time or this this uh yeah the fall time in the wait list which is good for the rest of us but it's bad for disney and um it comes at a time where, of course, Disney's reputation is hemorrhaging. Disney's movie business has lost a ton of mo- money. We covered that last week because of the huge investment in woke films that nobody wants to go see. Uh, and now even Bob Iger, who was president and now is back as CEO, uh, is saying, I think we may have misjudged things on our price hikes. Maybe perhaps there wasn't the market for these big inflated pr- prices. Hello, Bob, especially not given what you've done to your brand, you and your predecessor. Uh, so what do you make of the the hemorrhaging over at Disney? I remember growing up, I, I'm from New York originally, but we grew up in South Florida. And I remember my dad and my mom saving up money the entire year. Let's go to three hours away to Orlando and go check out Disney World. It was the, the entire year we were focused on going there. 
Parents aren't doing that anymore. Families aren't doing that anymore because of leaked audio and video saying 50% have to be LGBTQ XYZ or whatever um, as the stars of our animated films, which is crazy. I never thought of a cartoon having a sexuality. Um, also, our live action films, uh, 50% have to be this, and we have to ESG and DEI that thing. They can still save it. This isn't Bud Light. Bud Light's done. Um, they're they're off the top 10, even the, of the favorite beers in America now. They were number one before the whole Dylan Mulvaney thing. Disney can still save it if they use their brains. If they decide, let's just make wholesome family fun. Doesn't matter what their sexuality is. Doesn't matter what the makeup of their family is. Let's just get them into the theme park. It takes me back to the 1980s and 90s when Michael Jordan had the Jordan brand shoes pretty pretty new with Nike. And somebody said, you know, why are you pushing this for everybody? You've got to take a stand against this politically or that politically. And he said, even Republicans buy sneakers. At some point, these companies, these corporations, these woke ideologies have to be put aside and they have to think to themselves, we have to make the money first. And then we can do whatever we want charitably after that. We can make any decision we want around our kitchen, you know, dinner table at night with our families. But when we want the entirety of the country or even the world to, to travel to Orlando or Anaheim and go and go to our parks or go to the movie theater and spend $100 for a family to go see a movie with some, some beverages, we probably should keep our mouths shut about things some people have a problem with. It's really kind of That's, that simple. I really, do you agree with that, Megan? I think that Disney can save of course. it if they use their brains. Yes, of course, I wish they would, but I think they're too far gone to actually do so. I mean, it's not just their movies Probably anymore. Right. We ran video a couple weeks ago of some guy in the bibbidi-bobbidi-boo <laughs> boutique where Love you go that. with your little girl who wants a Disney princess dress, and it was a guy. It was a guy dressed as a woman. And look, my kids are now uh, 13, 12, and almost 10, so they're old enough to understand. You know, they've yeah. been around me long enough to understand what's happening in the gender thing, Lane. But the I would not take Littles into that store and have them be confused by that. This guy's in a dress trying to be their fairy godmother. No, it's a hard no. Yeah. Um, so I do think that there's a fair element of politics here where Republicans and conservatives and even Democrats who are not on board with this nonsense are not going to go support this brand that's doing it or subject their kids who are trying to have a magical experience um, to this kind of nonsense. So it is uh, magic. A, a, a guy in a beard was a princess. That's magic, isn't it? Um, it? No, I'm with you. I saw that video. I couldn't agree more. When when you walk in, when you take your family, you want that fantasy. I just don't understand what the companies think they're gaining. What did Bud Light think they were gaining by having this guy make who's making fun of women drink a beer with his picture on it? What does Disney think they're gaining by having the princess be a bearded man? I don't know. What, if they can explain to me, here's what we get. I know. This is what we get. At. Okay, please enlighten me. It gives them the ability to say they're better than us. That's what they want. Moral superiority. That's what wokeism gives these people. Meaning in a meaningless life. The ability to look at the deplorables out there. Uh, and that includes way more than just the diehard Trump supporters, folks. Uh, and say, you're shitty people. And we are the enlightened elite. I'm part of a special cabal of enlightened people. You wouldn't understand because you're not part of it, but I will lecture you on how to live your life well and be respectful and inclusive of other groups. Let me lead by example. I'll put Dylan Mulvaney on a beer can and I'll solve all the world's problems. I'll put a dude in a dress in the Bibbidi-Bobbidi boutique. And therefore, <laughs> uh, I will leave this earth knowing I left it better than the way I found it. That's how they think. Yeah, but are they so dumb that they don't realize as they're looking down their nose, I'm keeping my money in my wallet? And you're keeping it in right. your purse. And we're not going to go there. We're not going to travel there. I hope that their wait times are two seconds soon. And then maybe they'll realize, holy crap, nobody's waiting for our rides. Maybe we should change um, our, our, our elitism and hide it. At, le at least, look, Megan, if they're smart, they'll at least hide it. 
they're putting it right out there for us all to say, well, then I choose not to go to your your little park. I'll go to Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, all right, let's talk about Megan Rapino. Uh, I, I'm not her fan, this soccer player with the blue hair or the purple hair, depending on the season. Yes. She's a great soccer player. She's an annoying person. And uh, having made her millions as a soccer player from us, from the American consumers who have supported the soccer team and supported her and supported the endorsements, the brands that she's representing and so on. Right. Uh, now, now that she's made all of her millions, she has a little message for the, for the rest of us. And that is we're not allowed to say anything she doesn't approve of when it comes to trans athletes. She's all for men playing against women when posing as women in women's sports. Now that it doesn't affect her. Joe Pax. Yeah. She comes out and says uh, to Time Magazine that in particular, she's got a problem with Dave Chappelle, Martina Navratilova, and Sage Steele. Sage Steele, a VSBN, a commentator who's brilliant uh, and bold. And she says, Rapino, I don't want to mince words here. Dave Chappelle making jokes about trans people directly leads to violence, whether it's verbal or otherwise, against trans people. How? Where? When? What specific instances? Because you're making that up. It's a bunch yeah. of bullshit. It's not true. And it's something activists like Megan Rapino use to try to silence dissenting voices. Uh, and it's really irresponsible. I think that it's important to first say the truth. She's lying. Now, we have to figure out why she's lying. Does she really in some part of her brain believe what she's saying as the women's team lost 12 to nothing to Ryan Reynolds, you know, uh, football club in England as the women lost in 2017. I think it was seven to five or five to two against a 15 year old men, uh, boys and under team. The women on, on a sports level cannot compete with the men. Shaq was seven, one, three, 40. I once asked uh, Becky Hammond, who was one of the best WNBA players to ever play. I said, how would you do in the NBA? She said, I'm five, six. Shaq is seven, one, three, 40. How do you think I would do? This is a non-question. She has to know that she's lying, but I just don't know what she gains, Megan. And again, maybe you can help me with this, but but when she says that it's unfair that we don't open all sports for all people of all genders, she's not listening to Caitlyn Jenner, friend of mine, was Bruce Jenner, was the guy we all wanted to be, was the best athlete on the planet. He he won the decathlon. I wonder how he would have done in the heptathlon, which is the women's version. Well, he would have won even bigger. It doesn't make any sense why this argument is happening. What do you think she gains? Is she looking for some more DEI sponsorships? She knows mm -hmm. that she's lying. She can't really believe what she's saying and to your point about the violence against trans people these people believe and i know that you know this they believe that if you say something about a trans person that is violence and you and i both know that words can't be violent so it doesn't make any sense i just wonder what she's gaining by knowingly lying to the american public she's not gaining any more support out of it she's making us all go what are you crazy I, um, I would refer you to my earlier answer on that. That's my theory anyway. But listen to this. So she goes on and says that what's happening here is women's sports is being, quote, weaponized. Oh, now we care about fairness. Now we care about women's sports. That's total bullshit, she says. And show me all the trans people who are nefariously taking advantage of being trans in sports. It's just not happening. Okay, really? Megan Rapino. Let well, stand by. All right. I'll start with the obvious. Leah Thomas. Uh, that's that's one that comes to mind. The North yes. Carolina volleyball player who seriously injured another high school girl and playing up opposite her. Austin Killips in cycling. Rachel M McKinnon 
in cycling. Here's some other trans cyclists. Uh, Tara Saplavi, Leslie Mumford, Tiffany Thomas, Molly Cameron. Uh, let's go to Connecticut with the state that I live in, where the two, uh, we had the girls on my show, the girls who lost scholarships or who didn't get the advantages or the placements that they hoped for in running because they lost to two trans guys who had done absolutely nothing to make themselves less full of testosterone. Like, uh, Terry Miller and Andrea Yearwood. Right. Uh, I could go on. Here's another trans runner. Uh, it's Athena Ryan, uh, the weightlifter, Laurel Hubbard in 2021, the cyclist, Emily Bridges. We could keep going. We could go all day long. Do your homework. Do your homework before you get out there and spew a bunch of nonsense because there are a lot of trans people taking women's spots, opportunities, and prize money all the way from poker to cycling to running to weightlifting. Open your eyes. The beauty contests. But but the thing is, it's not about her educating herself. Megan, she knows everything you just said. This is about those who won't do the research, those who won't listen to you or me, those who won't educate themselves, just buying it. Oh, my God, we've got to stop the violence against trans people. Oh, my God. Or, you know, Rachel Levine really is a, a woman. Oh, my God, that beauty queen over in the Netherlands really was, you know, uh, um, uh, somebody who was better um, suitable to win that contest over all these women that joined. She knows these things. I don't think she's stupid. Like we talked about Swalwell. Yes, he's a moron. I agree with you. I don't know that, that Megan Rapino is is unintelligent. I think that she thinks she stands to gain something. I don't know what this trans ideology is, but when Martina Navratilova, one of the first outed gay players in tennis ever, and one of the best women players ever, is against it, I'm gonna listen to her. When Caitlyn Jenner is against it, I'm gonna listen to Caitlyn Jenner, because these people are people who actually lived the life that we're talking about. Martina Navratilova knows she would have lost to every man, period. The, Serena Williams and Venus Williams both won. Riley Gaines brought this out in Congress the other day. They both lost to the 202nd ranked man. These are two of the most dominant female we've, females we've ever seen play tennis. So I maybe I'm giving her too much credit. Maybe I'm glass half full. But I think Megan Rapinoe knows she's a liar. I just, I'm, I'm at the point where I want to know why. And nobody will ever answer that question to me. I don't know what she gains unless there is secret millions of dollars going into her bank account from all these uh, LGBTQ, XYZ, one, two, three organizations. I don't understand why else she would make this up. She's not stupid, and I'm sure she has the internet. So she she can't not know what she's saying she doesn't know. It's something called psychic income. Um, and that's what I think she's getting. Probably All so. right, let's let's talk about another psychic income pusher. Uh, and his name is Jonathan Perkins. Now, I had no idea who this person was up until two days ago. And okay. nobody does. So this person decided to take this picture that Kristen Bell, the actress Kristen Bell, tweeted out of her. Right. She's married to Zach. Uh, I mean, to Dak Shepard. Um, right. She tweeted out this picture with all these Hollywood stars. It's got like Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox and Jimmy Kimmel, I think, is in there. I, all these people who you'd know are in this picture. And his reaction, I saw it online, was to tweet it out and, and ask something to the effect of, I'm, I'm genuinely curious, like, what? I want white people to answer this. When you look at this, like if you walked into this party and didn't see any black faces, like what would you do? Like, do, do you recognize how problematic this is? And then he was taking responses pretty much only from, you know, self-flagellating white people who would say, I would never, it would be a serious problem for me. I would recognize the, you know, overt white supremacy of the fact that there are no black people, there are no people of color. And so we took a little dive into this guy, Jonathan Perkins, and it turns out this guy's been a race hustler for a long, long time. He hosts a podcast with his sister now um, all about race and racism 
and all the you know stuff that you would expect straight yeah. out of the Robin D'Angelo playbook. In 2011, which is what, 12 years ago, while a student at UVA, this guy had a personal experience, Joe Pags, of racial profiling. He's a, he's a person of color from the university's police department. Poor guy. He's black and he got targeted by the cops. It resulted in FBI involvement, not looking into the cops, looking into Jonathan Perkins himself. Why? Because he made the whole thing up. He was forced wow. when he was found out to recant his absurd allegations. And ultimately, the, the full story came out. He went on not to be punished for this, but to practice at a Philadelphia law firm to go on to be in the office of the general counsel at Harvard University. He wow. currently serves as the director of race and equity at UCLA, where he opines still on race, racism and speaks largely to white people who want to dismantle racist systems like a lunch that Kristen Bell was at, which shockingly and abhorrently had all white faces. Well, Megan, I think you have to understand in this day and age, if you show up to lunch and there's nothing but white people, you're going to have to order that they get a black person in there. Because if you don't, it's just not going to be a proper lunch. It, it is so stupid. It is so unbelievably stupid. I didn't watch the Essence Awards, but I saw this idiot singer change the name, uh, change the words of the, the Star Spangled Jill Banner. And, and 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 they they showed the audience you know, there might have been one or two white people, but I, I don't know. There's way too much black people in that audience. It, it, this is so stupid. It would be like me saying, you know, I can't watch the NBA. Way too many black people in the NBA. When I actually believe in meritocracy and 80% players in the NBA are black because they're the best available players and, you know, the team owners want to win. When did we get to a point, and I think it's rather recently, I'll be honest with you, where we start counting the number of faces. Yeah, but I don't think we have any, I don't think we have any Latinos in there or, or Latinx people. I'm not really sure we've got any Native Americans or indigenous people in there. How dare you have lunch where there aren't enough Lithuanians? You know, when, when did we, Megan, when did we start doing this? It's ridiculous. It would be like people watching us right now going, you know, he might be olive. I think he's Southern Italian, but he's still kind of white. Why is he on with this white lady? White lady should have somebody else on except this guy. What, when, can we put our feet down and say Kristen Bell can have lunch with anybody she wants to? Can we just right. do that and say this guy is a fraud? He's a known fraud, might have a podcast, uh, God bless him, but he should not be in charge of anything at any university ever. Can we just like, say who, that and people take us seriously? Or like, are there people watching and listening to you saying, wait a second, there really weren't enough black faces there. there he's right about this. Like who sits down and comes up with their guest list based on skin color? Like, okay, or religion. You know, I, I got a Buddhist. I got a Muslim, I got a Christian, I got a Jew, I'm good now. I got a brown person, I got a black person, I got a, a, an Asian person, I got a white person. Like, that's absurd. It reminds me, Joe Pags, after um, I was I was under fire at NBC and uh, they were calling me a racist in the paper. And some of my friends were like, MK, they're like, your friends are from every single walk of life. Do you? We should do like a group picture of you out with your, your black friends and your brown friends and your whatever. And I was like, it's a no, guys. Right. This is bullshit. We're not playing this game. Right. And yet this is what this guy wants. He wants tokenism, I guess, on demand. It'll make him feel better if at the next luncheon, Kristen Bell and Dak Shepard, who co-hosts his podcast, very successful podcast, I believe, with an Indian gal. Uh, he, he needs to put her front and center. She should have been in that photograph. I don't know whether that would have counted, though, because for guys like this, uh, brown Indians, they may not make the grade. Whereas like guys like Jonathan, he needs to see himself represented. Otherwise, your party sucks.
<laughs> you know, I went to lunch the other day and I was like, where's the lady with the hijab? What's going on? Why, why is there <laughs> more representation here? Way too many Catholics here. You know, you're absolutely right. And by the way, if he if he co-hosts with an Indian person, you're allowed to to be a racist against Asians. You didn't hear? So so that yeah, probably doesn't right. count. I think you're right. It doesn't check the box. You know, but nope. Megan, can I say this? I've been in this business 34 years now. Started in 1989, small radio station. I have never cursed on the air. Every time you have me on, you have me that close, Kelly. That close <laughs> to dropping a bomb. I haven't done it yet on a microphone, but I'm telling you, you're. I'll, I'll when I do it, and it's going to happen. It's going to be on your show. I feel. Oh, good. I, I'll, I'd be honored. Please save it for me. Um, my mom is here. My mom is the one who doesn't like my swearing. She's downstairs. I think she's listening right now, hoping that um, you're going to pull me the other way, Joe Pags, instead of me <laughs> taking you down with me. We'll Fingers see. Crossed. Uh, great to see you, my friend. So so good to be on. Megan, continued success. Thank you so much. Uh, to you, too. All right. Coming up next, we've got two executives from Gays Against Groomers, including the woman who founded the group. She founded this group a year ago. Remember, people were saying, where are the gays in this trans fight? Like they're co-opting all these gay rights groups and the interests don't align. Well, back in June of last year, she formed this group. And now here we are a year later. She's got I mean, hundreds of thousands of followers on social media, half a million alone, I think, on Twitter. And of course, now as they grow in power, they're coming under fire. So we'll talk about it all right after this. We shift gears now and turn to a group I have long admired online. I love what they're doing. They're called Gays Against Groomers. Says it all, doesn't it? An organization that is doing great work, trying to sound the alarm about the indoctrination and sexualization of children under the guise of radical gender activism. Joining us now, uh, the founder of that group, Jamie Michelle, she's also the CEO of Gays Against Groomers, and Chris Barrett, the co-director of chapters at Gays Against Groomers. Jamie and Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you thank so you. much for having us. <laughs> oh, it's great yeah, to have you. Yeah, thank you, you so been, much, Megan. I've been watching you guys do battle with all these people online. And, you know, I applaud you because the, people say this about feminists and they say this about um, the LGB part of LGBTQ, like where are the activists who are going to stand up for women, for children, for gays, for lesbians against this radical ideology that trans activists are pushing and that is taking over, that is sweeping the nation. So, Jamie, tell me, it, like, what led you to actually do something about it? It's one thing to sit in your couch and lament. It's another to actually form a group and, and grow it as you have. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, this is hurting us just as much as well, it's hurting us a little less than kids, but we're right up there. You know, this this is just ideology is so destructive and the backlash is happening against all of us within the community, um, including the majority of us that just want to live our lives at home and leave everybody alone, most of which children. So, you know, back in June of 2022, I was seeing the onslaught of videos like everybody else was of these inappropriate drag shows with kids involved uh, with them you know, almost nude and dancing very sexually. I saw the material in the schools. I saw children uh, being told they should permanently medicalize themselves, sterilize themselves and have their healthy body parts cut off. I just couldn't take it anymore. You know, I had a bit of a platform prior to that. I was online as this online personality under the name The Gay Who Strayed. Uh, I, I had built up over 200,000 followers and I was at the point where I was like, you know what, I can't have this platform and not try and do something because I knew I wasn't alone in feeling this way. 
Um, and you know, I had, I have a lot of gay friends, uh, and even trans friends and I just got them all together. I said, Hey guys, I'm starting this thing called gays against groomers. We got to, you know, have a unified voice to fight back against this. And it just skyrocketed. Like I, ever since I've been trying to play catch up because it just exploded. Mm -hmm. So Chris, when you talk to people who are in your group, I'll like describe the average member of gays against groomers. Sure. Um, the average member of Gays Against Groomers, um, I, I would say, um, politically speaking, is probably moderate to maybe a little bit right leaning, but we do have uh, left leaning people within our organization as well. I, I think the main thing is, is that we have lots of people within Gays Against Groomers who are just simply tired of all of this stuff being done in our name. Uh, we're, we're very sick of it. And um, like Jamie alluded to, uh, we realize that it is uh, uh, making us look bad. Now, here's the other thing, as far as like uh, other pe uh, all the other people within Gays Against Groomers, one thing that I love about it is, is we've got people from all walks of life, all sorts of different professions, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of an average Joe myself. Um, but we've, uh, you know, we've got former military members and things like that who are chapter leaders. And um, so we're, we're definitely a very varied group. People like to try to pigeonhole us, um, but they can't because we uh, are actually pretty diverse. Oh, I'm sure you're about 30 seconds away from being labeled a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, some alt-right gay rights, hating, whatever group. Um, but that's just the, that's par for the course. So um, I looked online and I saw you guys in, in an online fight having some of your employees come forward and say, hey, I'm a Joe Biden voter. So get off my case. It's not all right wing. You got people on the left, you got people on the right, but they're shared in their mission to, to stop this. Jamie, what do you make of the fact that every time I see like a trans group complaining that trans activists have the worst activists of any group, I see Glad joining in with them. Like what happened to Glad? What happened to like human rights campaign? That was another one that used to be about gay rights. And now they've got this. I don't know what she considers herself, non-binary or genderful. I have no idea what the woman is who runs it, but she's not. Uh, she's whatever. Part of the quote queer crowd. Uh, she's lecturing us about the trans issues and not at all caring about the gay issues anymore. Right. Well, I think it's kind of like a, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with how you see our original pride flag. Now this triangle of trans and all kinds of stuff is, is cutting through it uh, and erasing gay people. And I think that that's kind of happening in society and with these groups in general, um, these radical alphabet organizations that were started for gays and lesbians to advance the, the cause of, you know, equality, which we achieved. Uh, it, it's sad, you know, for, I me personally, I don't think the LGB and T should have ever been lumped together just because mm -hmm. one is, you know, being gay or being a lesbian is who you love and uh, being trans um, is about who you believe you are, your identity. And they really aren't related, you know, so I don't know. I think that these people saw that the money was drying up after we won our rights. We actually won that battle. And as far as I'm concerned, we should have all packed it up and gone home and just got on with our lives. But there's no money to be made off of that. So now mm -hmm. they're trying to uh, keep us, you know, and use trans people and make up the myths like there's a trans genocide happening, which obviously is not true, uh, to keep the oppression train going because that that brings in the money. You've got 
some weird things happening, of course, in school. We've discussed that many times, what they're teaching, what they're teaching, allowing transitions at school. And then the child goes back to his or her normal gender when they go home and the school helps cover it up with the parents. I told the audience a couple months ago, we went to a new we moved to Connecticut and now we just finally are getting our new pediatricians. And um, the pediatrician said to my kids, OK, you know, next year they're still on the young side, but next year we're going to send mom and dad out of the office and we're going to have a one on one talk with you. And I, I will probe f- further before that actually happens. But I think it's about to talk about sex. Like, w- w- are you doing it? Is there, you know, like so they don't want mom lurking there so that maybe the kid could actually say so and be educated on what the risks are. I'll find out. But there's just today in the news, a guy who found out the hard way uh, that his pediatrician had a totally different agenda. It happened right in front of his wife. And he posted this online. I thought of you guys. It's SOT 25. I just pulled over uh, to do this video because I'm literally on fire right now. I just got off the phone with my wife who took my nine and seven year old boys to the doctor today to get physicals for tackle football and school next year and all that other shit. The first, my nine-year-old son went in first and the first thing this woman asks him is if he identifies as a boy, a girl, gender fluid or non-binary. My son, he's never heard of any of that shit before. You've been dealing with him your whole life. He is clearly a boy's boy. So what are you trying to plant a fucking seed in his head? I, the only thing I could be thankful for is that my wife took them instead of me. And props to my wife because she said something. And if she didn't, they would ask my seven-year-old son the same damn question. This shit is ridiculous. It is ridiculous, Chris. And this guy's not alone. Right. Well, I, I kind of have a little bit of a personal theory on some of this stuff. I, I think that the gender theorists and the queer theorists, and you, you, you would think that queer theory is like something that would be gay friendly or something because they, they use the word queer. Well, it wasn't. I, I mean, in my opinion, the, this was uh, a Marxist uh, push, and they were looking for the gay community to be their new revolutionaries well gay people like jamie alluded to um for the most part i i'd say the vast majority of us when we got our rights we packed it up and went home but they 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 didn't like what we were doing that we wanted to assimilate into society that we wanted to get married and those sorts of things that's not what they wanted from us so um I, I really do think that um now a lot of these people who have been captured by this ideology whether they realize it or not some of them probably don't even realize what they're doing but um they're happy to recruit new members and this is one way of doing that my god our seven-year-olds, our nine-year-olds. And this is why your group is so important because it's like half the battle is awareness. Half the half the people might believe, I don't know if you heard the last segment, but somebody like Megan Rapino when she says, there's no trans athletes trying to game the system against women. Show me the trans athletes who are doing that. Are you an idiot? Like, pay attention. There are two. And like, there are a lot of people who are out there just living their lives who might actually believe something like that, Jamie, and then, and then bump into it head first, like this dad and his wife when they're just going to the pediatrician's office. 
Well, yeah, that's the problem. You know, the the other side, the people pushing this, they gaslight the public so hard, uh, you know, that I always say that awareness is kind of the biggest issue that we face in stopping all of this. So many people, you know, we're in it. We live this every day. We're tuned in. But the majority of Americans, I really don't think know that this is happening. Um, they don't know that women are losing their scholarships, women and girls, uh, and they're getting hurt, physically hurt by biological men uh, playing on the same teams as them. Um, and and furthermore, you know, that that the, this word I, to pivot a little bit, the, the word gender affirming care drives me absolutely insane um, because that has nothing. You know, they can't. This is what they do. They candy coat the language. Uh, so you think, oh. So, so nobody could ever come out against that. Why would you want to be against care for children, right? But the truth is, is it's uh, sterilization and mutilation. But they don't want to. They don't want that to be known. So yeah, that's not as it, marketable. No, it's very deceitful. And uh, no, and that's the thing. As soon as people learn that this is actually happening, they immediately oppose it. They really do. I mean, I've had experience with staunch Democrats um, that that I was speaking to and I let them know like, Hey, have you heard of gender affirming care? They're like, no, what's that? I'm like, well, they're, you know, I explained the whole thing and then they're instantly enraged and they want to fight against it. And so, mm -hmm. you know, they're very deceitful and that's on purpose. They did the same thing with BLM, you know, calling, calling their Marxist violent movement, black lives matter. So you can't come out against that. You know, right. somebody's going to come out and say, Oh no, I don't think black lives matter. No, that's not really it. So they're very intentional with their language. Um, one of the most prominent faces of this movement is Dylan Mulvaney. And this person has now, I guess, traveled to Peru trying to pretend that despite the, what, 10 million followers on Instagram and the tons of dough that Dylan has made with these endorsements for these products. I mean, they're lining up out Dylan's door in order to get Dylan's face on their product at places like Ulta Beauty. We could go down the list of the endorsements that this guy has gotten. Um, this is a man who said, OK, I'm a gay man. Then he said, um, I'm non-binary. Then he said, I'm trans. Then he said, I'm a lesbian. I can't keep up with all the things. But now you'll be glad to know Dylan's apparently found himself. And this is his latest message from Peru. Here's a little bit. I've seen a lot of llamas and the people here are so kind. I feel very safe here. It's a little sad that I had to leave my country to feel safe, but that will get better eventually. So Dylan doesn't feel safe in America, notwithstanding, I presume, the millions he's made. He says this trip is a great way to get to know himself better. I mean, I guess that is going to be the final chapter of the journey of male, female, non-binary, gay, lesbian, who the hell knows. Um, but what do you make of him playing the victim? Also pointing out he has not yet been kissed. Oh, my God. Who would like to take wow. that one? Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dan. Yeah, this guy uh, dri drives me insane. Um, you know, there's um, a lot of um, people who uh, will go online and uh, attack, uh, especially lesbians, I've noticed, uh, like uh, trans women coming after lesbians saying that they should be open to being with them. But I've also seen it happen with gay men as well. And I, I really do think that the thing that Dylan is doing by changing his sexual orientation all these times is just feeding into that sort of thing. Now, of course, I don't think that it's real with him. I mean, I think that it's just a marketing tactic for himself. He's wanting attention. And that's exactly exactly what it is. He wants right, exactly. I, I, he wants clicks. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we, we have to remember that Dylan was an actor before this and not a very good one and kind of not uh, progressing in his career. So obviously, and, and that's that's the thing, like trans is very trendy right now in schools, in society, you're rewarded for being trans. You're given special privileges. You can break all societal norms and rules that have been in place for all of human history up until five minutes ago. And, you know, and so it, it's very appealing for attention seekers. Uh, this is serious. So I will say attention whores, because that's actually what I believe that Dylan is. Uh, but, you know, so so it's it's all a sham and it's all for money and clicks and popularity. And uh, it's yeah. sad to see that our community and, and people like us, regular gays and lesbians are being thrown under the bus and associated with all of this. And we we're to trying, your, you know, uh... gays against groomers to really separate ourselves, draw a big red line between us and this radical ideology and the people that are enraptured by it. And get your flag back uh, to your point at Brown University. They just did a study that showed that 38 percent of the current student, bo student body identifies as LGBTQ, whatever, blah, 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 plus 38 just 10 years ago or what, it was 2010. So I guess you know, 13 years ago, it was 14 percent. Uh, but we're not supposed to believe that it was a, that it's a social contagion. And we're not supposed to accept, Jamie, that it's got any sort of um, cachet to identify as part of this group now. Yeah, I mean, it's totally crazy. First of all, this there's no way that you can look at these numbers and think that that's natural. You know, the trans rights activists, they like to say that this is just this is natural and organic and solely due to society being more accepting. So these kids and youth are able to come out and be their true selves when obviously that's ridiculous. Um, you know, we wouldn't see a jump like that if that were the case. And, you know, we see primarily the jump in the youth. Like if that were the case in all of society, why aren't the numbers matching across the board in, in other age groups? Um, but yeah, this this is the children are the most impressionable people on this planet that walk this earth and planting ideas in their minds from the it's just a constant bombardment of alphabet propaganda in schools, in media, everywhere they look. And on top of that, it's seen as trendy, as I was saying before. Um, my fiance has a young sister. Uh, she's 15 now, I believe. And she was telling us that in school, you know, you're not cool if you if you're just some straight kid now, you know, like it's very there's a lot lot of peer pressure to identify as non-binary or trans or somewhere in the rainbow. Um, so it, it's scary. Not to mention at a place like Brown, it's probably rather helpful to have it in your application essay about how you've been brutalized as a member of the LGBTQ, blah, 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 you know, society. And to me, it's really like a co-opting. It's like, you know, how when you pretend that you um, had a military injury or you had military heroism and it's fake and they call it stolen valor, Chris, it's like stolen victimization because I'm sure, you know, as like actual gays and lesbians have had an incident or two where they felt otherized or they felt like they didn't have equal rights, even in modern day America. These people who aren't really, quote, queer in any way, who are just glomming on are kind of stealing the, the identity just to make themselves feel special. Right. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, Megan. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie, maybe you know this, but um, uh, or Megan. Um, but I think that uh, if I remember correctly, that uh, number as far as like people identifying as LGBTQ, whatever, um, the numbers aren't going up for actual gay and lesbian bisexual people. It, it's right. going up with the TQIA plus 
crowd. And uh, because, you know, the thing is, is you can't identify into being gay. That actually requires something of you <laughs> without getting into the dirty details, obviously. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, that requires something of you. But this other stuff you can just identify into. Yeah, so that's yeah, right. it, it, it's, it's very frustrating dealing with these people basically uh, glomming on to us and saying we're somehow the same and all this sort of thing. So, it, yeah, uh, it's very frustrating. It's a fraud. It's a fraud. OK, so uh, let me ask you about now. Now, as you get bigger, you get more powerful, you get more incoming. It's part par for the course. Um, and I saw this dust up the other day, Jamie, and I was like, what, what is happening here? So a guy who was with your group named David Leatherwood, he was on the board. He announced in sort of sunny terms, I'm leaving. Everything's great, but I'm just going to leave gays against groomers. And then Caitlyn Jenner weighed in and made a controversy out of it, saying that's not what you said to me privately. I'm paraphrasing here. There's much more to your story, like be direct. And then Leatherwood comes out and says, all right, the truth is, I'm pissed off about the DeSantis ad that's that he found to be homophobic. This it wasn't by DeSantis. It was a group that supports DeSantis. But the DeSantis war room retweeted it um, in which they rip on Trump for being very pro Caitlyn Jenner and very pro trans people in the Miss Universe pageant. And then it shows Ron DeSantis is like a badass Tom Cruise, Top Gun character fighting all this stuff. Rick Grinnell, who I really like, but he's a diehard Trump guy. And he's openly gay. Uh, he said very homophobic log cabin Republicans that are openly gay Republicans. They said homophobic. And this guy Leatherwood said, I also think it's homophobic. So what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with gays against groomers? Well, he says that gays against groomers is a DeSantis group. You, Jamie, are, are I think he actually said you're employed by DeSantis or you're getting paid by DeSantis. And then all these articles started to be written. So what's the truth? Okay, so first, I want to address that Gays Against Groomers is not a DeSantis group. Uh, we are apolitical. We are not politically affiliated in any way. So within Gays Against Groomers, there's like a hundred of us, and we all have our own personal opinions. I personally am a very political person. I'm also very vocal. Uh, I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut, and so I am very pro DeSantis um, publicly. And so, you know, when that ad came out, um, which DeSantis had nothing to do with, uh, many people on the right, gay conservatives, viewed that as homophobic. I personally didn't. I saw it more as a hit on Trump for, you know, kind of being okay with this radical gender ideology, and if not, being a little bit of a catalyst for it himself with, you know, allowing, um, saying, saying that men can compete in the women's beauty pageants and saying that men can go in women's bathrooms. So that's what I saw. But yeah, I mean, I think it's really unfortunate that we're going to let that certain people would let political differences even I mean, tech, me and David are on the same side at the end of the day, we're both on the right. Um, but to let primary preferences come in the way of the work that we're doing to protect children with should which should not be political whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's that's really unfortunate, but everybody is allowed to do whatever they want, obviously. You know, so David did leave the board and it was very weird to see Caitlin randomly get involved and attack me. Uh, you know, she actually before that tweet, which you mentioned, 
David had posted something that had nothing to do with gays against groomers or myself. And Caitlin just jumps in and brings both of us up and throws us under the bus and just straight up lies about me. She is the one that, you know, started spreading the rumors about me with the DeSantis campaign. And that's just not true. So it's unfortunate. But, you know, the, the movement carries on and we push forward and it's no big deal at the end of the day. But it's just crazy to me. So so. My understanding just from following you online is you are a DeSantis supporter, but you're not part of his paid team in any way. Am I correct? Uh, right. Yes. That's OK. Correct. All right. So so you you don't work for the DeSantis campaign or take money from that campaign. No, I've never they've never uh, paid me for a tweet. They've never paid me to speak out publicly against him. I've been a supporter, a staunch supporter of Ron DeSantis for, I want to say, two years now, just like the majority. I mean, all of Trump supporters were huge Ron DeSantis fans. Uh, they were saying, make America Florida for two years. And then uh, that's Wait, I want to get to this. But this is interesting to me because you, I know you voted for Trump twice um, when you were the gay who strayed, as you as you pointed out. But you've switched over to Team DeSantis now. And this is one of the ongoing questions about Trump. Where does he stand on this? Because I understand why DeSantis's supporters now used Trump's earlier stance against him in the ad. For sure. I get it. But it was 2016. It was 2015. You know, lots changed in the world since then. So we'll find out where Trump stands on all of this right now. But what is it about why? Why have you switched to DeSantis now? Oh, gosh, I could go on and on for a very long time about this, so I'll try and keep it short. But I got off the Trump train. I want to be clear. Yes, I did vote for him twice. I voted for him in 2020 as well, even though prior to that, I was off the Trump train. Um, you know, my support really started dwindling for him in the height of the pandemic when he basically subsidized his presidency over to Fauci. Uh, and and that was pretty much the down the beginning of the end uh, of his successful presidency, I believe. But there are so many reasons why I believe DeSantis is just a better candidate at this point. Uh, and, you know, being the founder and president of Gays Against Groomers, this issue of protecting children is up there. It is like one of the top issues for me and what I'm looking for in a, in a presidential candidate to lead this country and destroy this agenda. So no politician in the country has worked harder or been more successful at dismantling this toxic rainbow agenda than Ron DeSantis. And I truly believe that if he is elected president, he will uh, successfully ban it federally. Um, I think that, you know, he will completely overhaul the education system. And these are things that really need to happen because children are our future. Um, and and I think he's proven that he's actually leading more Trumpian than Trump did, especially towards the end of his presidency. Mm hmm. I, I understand exactly. I, I would like to clarify with Trump where he stands on all this, but I I could not vote for a candidate who didn't feel the way you just espoused, you know, who didn't see this as a serious threat. It's it's abuse of children, uh, boys and girls. And in the athletic lane, it's abuse and allowing abuse and unfairness of girls. I mean, just everywhere you turn and the Biden administration is pushing it. They they're completely on the other team on this, Chris. And I, I think a lot of Democrats either don't prioritize it. They're not paying attention to it. They don't know about it. But you know, I was asking Nikki Haley, what can you do about some of these things from the White House? The truth is this White House has done quite a bit to push this agenda. Right, right, Megan. Um, <clears throat> so interesting little side note about me. Um, before I joined Gays Against Groomers and really started learning everything that was going on, I was actually pretty far left. Uh, I was actually a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I totally bought into all of it, but I couldn't keep going 
along with it. And the reason I couldn't keep going along with it is because of everything that was going on uh, with kids. And that is what started attracting me. Well, first of all, made me sick with Joe Biden, uh, but also started attracting me to Ron DeSantis as well. And um, because I did see what he was doing in Florida uh, to protect kids, um, and especially giving uh, parents more rights in their education, because that's absolutely something that we need. Well, we, we the name of the group is Gays Against Groomers. And the, like grooming, I've defended this term before on the show. It really is grooming. It's we did this thing on the um, Jared, the subway guy, you know, there was a, a Netflix doc. I think it was Netflix or Amazon Prime. Forgive me for not remembering right now. But this deep dive into that guy and this woman who helped bring him down. What is it? Discovery? And anyway, my team's trying to tell me um, this woman who helped bring him down, got him in ta- on tape and so on. And he was talking, Jamie, about the need to expose young children to sexualized talk, inappropriate subjects at a young age to get them used to it. So it's not so jarring when the pervert moves in to take advantage of them. Th- that has been completely lost. There were having do- like teachers do trusted outside of your parents. Your teachers tend to be your most trusted people as a child. Do this to them in the single digit grades. Yeah, I mean, it's it's horrifying. And a lot of people don't like that our name is Gays Against Groomers, but that's literally what is happening. That's what these people are. You know, you don't have to be an actual sexual predator like a child, a a pedophile to uh, actually be uh, to partake in grooming behavior and to. Right. Uh, yeah. So and, and I do want to clarify, obviously, there are groomers and child predators and pedophiles outside of the LGBTQIA plus 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 community. We're just you know, we look at ourselves as kind of the hall monitors of our own community. Uh, it, it needs to be brought back. Things have gotten way out of control. I believe that the slippery slope, I pray to God, we're almost at the bottom of it. I don't know how much further down we can go, um, but we're trying to bring things back to just a place of sanity. Um, and, and you know, there the red line has always been just leave kids alone. Whatever adults want to do, fine. But, you know, they're children. They're innocent for such a short amount of time. uh, And and it's just devastating to see. And it's it's awful to see it happening in our name. Yeah. I mean, the gays part is like uh, encouraging members of the LGBTQ or LGBT community to come join. But it could have just as well been gals against groomers. You're like what you're fighting um, is something I'm fighting too. And I'm not gay. I get it. I get it completely. And grooming really is more widespread and problematic than people know. God bless. Good luck to you both. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Megan. Yeah. Thanks, Megan. All the best. Yeah. The pleasure is all mine. Uh, and thank you to all of us for spending the day with us tomorrow. Michael Knowles is on the program. One of our favorite guests. And you have to watch this, okay? Because I've got a particular CNN clip. I am going to play with Michael Knowles and it will have you talking. Trust me on that. Look forward to sharing him and that moment with all of you then. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.